Hey, everybody, welcome, welcome to our time together. And uh, I always love when we get to come together. But I have to say, I think tonight for me is going to be special. You have to decide if it is for you. But here's the thing. Jesus loves to meet your needs. Jesus loves to also not just meet your needs, but give you your heart's desire. And Jesus, who created you and created me on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose, also created us to celebrate and get pleasure in life. And we're going to talk about how when we move from being far from God to close to God, in the midst of that journey, we come to a place where more than ever, the Lord wants us to experience something incredibly pleasurable, something filling and fulfilling, something that's amazing. And we're going to be talking about that when we get in the Word tonight. Let's pray. Father, I praise you and I thank you that we get to come before you and that you're a God who cares about every aspect of who we are. You created us, Lord, to experience pleasure. You, ex you created us to come to times in our life where we're fulfilled and filled with all the right things. And it's incredible when that happens because we know it's from you. In Jesus, we pray right now. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in a series called The Tabernacle. And if you're brand new to the series, let me tell you what it's about. When Moses went up on the mountain to be with God, God had called the children of Israel to be freed from the land of Egypt. He had told through uh, Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. He brought 10 plagues and humbled them. They came out in a mighty way to become a mighty nation. And he called Moses onto a mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, almost everybody knows that while he was up there, he got the Ten Commandments. What most people don't know, unless you've been in this series or you've been reading the Bible, is that he was getting the design and the purpose of the tabernacle. God loves the tabernacle. God wanted the colors of the tabernacle. God chose the colors. Uh, if you don't like the colors of the tabernacle, <laughs> that would be bad news. Uh, God chose what it, they were to be made out of, how big they would be. But more importantly, honestly, more importantly, the purpose of each, each intricate detail of it. And the whole idea of the tabernacle is you would go from being far from God to close to God. Not in God's presence to in the very presence of God. Not partaking in the promises and power of God into interacting and experiencing that to go forth and have that be a part of your life. And when you understand God's way of doing things, you understand how to get close to him today. Because that's not just for way back then. The, the, every detail of it teaches us as believers in Jesus Christ. How Jesus is the answer that brings us into the very presence of God. And so it's interesting, the tabernacle was called the tent of the meeting. It was called the tent of the meeting. And the idea is that you would come from your tent to God's tent to meet with God. And so it's interesting, everybody was invited to come. And only a few would come. Every single person was wanted. And only a few would take God up on it. I, I, I kind of had an interesting question. If we were living back then, would we have showed up? Wow. Would you guys have gone? I think you would have. You, would you, okay, yeah, me too. Um, and I, if you're in the chat, say, I would have gone. I would have gone. But here's the thing. Hopefully we would all go. But notice what happened when they didn't go, because this describes way too many Christians today. This can get very relevant uh, to the days and times we live in. Uh, in Exodus 33, verse 7, it says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of the meeting. That's the tabernacle. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of the meeting outside the camp. And it came about whenever Moses went out to the tent that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. And whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak to Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tent of the entrance, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance, don't miss this, of his tent. In other words, they would watch Moses meet with God and they would worship from a far off distance. See, I believe that's a description of many Christians today. 
Uh, they, they come to church and watch other people worship, but they don't worship. Uh, they watch other people pray, but they never get an answer to prayer. Uh, and they hear stories, amazing stories of ever other people experiencing God in amazing ways. But that's not true of their life. Not because it couldn't be. Not because God doesn't want it to be. By the way, notice what goes on to say in verse 11. Then Moses used to speak face to face, or, or, or the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. That's really heavy, isn't it? In other words, when God talked to Moses, it was friend like friends. Uh, when Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. So Moses and Joshua took God up on the idea of meeting and worshiping. And so many other people stood afar off never getting everything God wanted for them. See, the idea of studying the tabernacle so you would not have that happen to you, and I would not have that be true of me, that we would get everything God wants for us, everything God has for us, because I don't want that to be what happens for you or me. Now, we're going to do this every single week, but I want to show you a 3D rendering uh, that we got permission to use uh, from a really good group of people, um, and you could find out more about it in our, our description. Uh, but I want to have you see how you go into the tabernacle, and we'll go through a whole process of where we're going. And then we're going to go to a very important piece of that tonight. But get ready for this. You would start out outside the tent. There's the tabernacle. People would camp a distance away from it. And then they would move closer and they would begin to enter a process of going into the very, very presence of God. The curtains would open and you would step in. The first thing you would see is the brazen altar. We already talked about that, but that's a place of sacrifice. And we enter into the presence of God with sacrifice. And the sacrifice now for us is Jesus Christ. But we cannot enter without sacrifice. Then you go to the laver. And the laver is a place of sanctification where you would wash and be cleansed. And we want to pursue holiness in our life. Then because of the sanctification, we're now ready to enter into the tent of the meeting. And we're standing in front of that tent with the curtains to open. And when they open, you enter into what's called the holy place. It's 30 by 30. It's not that big. But when you enter in, there were sights and smells you were to experience. Uh, you, on the left-hand side would be the lampstand, and, and there would show you the light of God. On the right-hand side is the table of showbread, and hot bread was baked. We're going to talk about that tonight. Then there was the altar of incense. And as the smoke went up, it symbolized your prayers were rising up into the very presence of God. And then on the other side of that big veil you saw is the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, that area where the cherubim are is called the, the, the mercy seat. And so what happens is you would go into the very presence of God with his mercy upon you and God's word being revealed to you. Because inside the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments, the rod of Aaron, the rod of power, and some of the hidden manna, again bread, bread from heaven. Now, you go from the brazen altar of sacrifice, which Jesus Christ did for us, through his sacrifice, we're forgiven of our sins, and now we have the right to enter the presence of God. But you don't go straight there. You go to the laver, and you go to a place of washing and cleansing, uh, so that you and I, when we go before the Lord, uh, we are pursuing holiness and want to be sanctified or set apart to God, which brings you to standing in front of those huge curtains. And they open up and you enter in, you enter in to the holy place. Now, again, I want to show you a picture of the holy place and have you see what it looks like on the inside here. Um, you can see over here is the lampstand. We're going to get to that one next week. There is the altar of incense. Then on the north side of the tent, and the Lord told them exactly always how to, to set the tent according to certain coordinates. On the north side is this table of showbread. Now on the table of showbread are utensils. There's the hot bread, 12 loaves of hot bread, which by the way, the stories are told it stayed miraculously fresh and hot. And then, this is another look of how they would have stacked them. So you get an idea of what it would have looked like. And so God, God wanted you, when you stepped in, to smell the smell of hot bread. To smell the smell of hot bread. I don't know about you, but I've had many times in my life where I've decided I wanted to lose weight. 
And I very often try something called a low-carb diet. I don't know if any of you guys, do, none of you have to do that. Okay, a low-carb diet. But, but you know what? The worst part of a low-carb diet, no bread. No bread, because I love bread. And by the way, I think it's biblical to love bread. We're going to talk about the table of showbread in a minute. Uh, but you know, for instance, uh, we have uh, right here, French bread. And I love French bread. And I think it's amazing. Uh, and then, uh, oh, that's just not French bread. You, you should call them sourdough. This is sourdough. By the way, um, Brianna, what did you say here's your favorite bread? Sourdough. Yeah. From rye. From, from rye goods. From where? Rye goods in Newport. Okay, Everybody yeah. Needs to go. So you travel all the way all to Newport, Newport to, to get, get this. Sourdough bread. Yeah, yes. sourdough bread. And then um, what did you say your favorite bread is? Also sourdough. Sourdough. Okay, so sourdough is kind of winning the way. Bill, what's your favorite bread? Oh, nothing beats uh, freshly made sourdough bread. Okay, <laughs> we got a lot of people that love sourdough bread. And b- sourdough bread, the smell of it, the taste of it, it just makes everything better. Which, by the way, the table of showbread's a place of the smell and taste that makes everything better and tells you how God wants everything better in your life. That's the idea behind it. Then there is Tracy French bread, right? Yeah, this is French bread. And uh, uh, so, by the way, this isn't just French bread. This is garlic French bread, uh, which is, okay, that's really, really good. And then there is the bread of breads, the bread of breads. And, and it's this one, Hawaiian bread, Hawaiian bread. So, Evan, what's your favorite bread? Ooh, I love rye bread. Yeah, I knew he was going to say oh, that. So good. <laughs> But rye, you really like rye. Yeah, I do. Okay, I really like Hawaiian. I agree. Hawaiian to me, I've got a feeling this will be in heaven. Like, you know, we're going to get to heaven and the Lord's going to say, have some Hawaiian bread. Uh, But you know what? There's something about any bread and all the different kinds of bread, but Hawaiian bread's amazing. Why? Because bread, bread gives the idea of pleasure. Bread gives the idea of filling. Would everybody agree that bread fills you up? It it does fill you up. And that's why like low-carb diets are like torture. And what I want to say spiritually, don't live a low-carb Christian life. Uh, You know, make sure and have some good bread. Then by the way, there's even this bread. How many of you guys have had this bread? Ezekiel bread. Oh, not everybody. Okay, this is actually very, very biblical. Ezekiel 4.9 tells you how to make this bread. Uh, And so Ezekiel bread, by the way, this is kind of a surprise. Many low-carb diets allow you to have this bread, this Ezekiel bread. Because it's, it's, yeah, because it's, it's actually super healthy. Um, and, and so, but interestingly, it's, it's like really, really good. And it's made according to the biblical ingredients. Uh, so that's interesting about it. But sometimes in our lives, we feel like we're missing out. Sometimes in our life, we feel like, man, I just need more. Sometimes in our lives, we feel like, oh, man, nothing feels good. Life itself doesn't taste good. Uh, And when I've been on low-carb diets, I got to tell you, that's how I tend to feel about food. Like, uh, when I'm not on a low-carb diet, I plan out my meals. I don't know if everyone else does that. Pam will tell you. Pam, uh, you you will tell everybody. I I plan the day. I I actually pray about it. I pray about what meals to eat (laughs) and, and what I should get and where I should go. But I get so excited about every single meal I get to eat when I'm not on a low-carb diet. I have never been on a low-carb diet like it. Somebody out there is going to tell me you can fix that. No, you can't. Because as good as a protein burger is from In-N-Out, nothing is as good as when you put the bread around a double-double. Or a three-by-three. Or, yeah, or a a cheeseburger animal style. Yeah. Uh, But but you know what? I think In-N-Out is amazing because they consistently nail the bread. One of my ever other favorite burger places, I won't tell you what it is, they're very hit and miss on their bread. But God consistently nails the bread of life. He consistently gives us what we need. And so bread, uh, to me, is one of the most incredible foods ever. A lot of the most famous restaurants are known for the bread. Olive Garden, breadsticks. Uh, Morton's, which I don't go to all that often, special occasion, onion loaf. And, and when you go to a great restaurant and they say, do you want some fresh made bread? You already know you're going to get something great. When you walk into the very holy place with God, believe it or not, God is saying, come, come and get some hot bread. Come and get something fresh, 
something that's filling and fulfilling. And so what would happen is you would walk into the holy place and you would smell, smell the hot bread. It would be on a table. The table was three feet long by one and a half feet wide, two and a quarter feet high, and it had a three-inch frame around it, which I think is so interesting. You might say, Chuck, what about why God gave those very dimensions and he wanted a, a, a frame around it? Do you guys know why? So nothing would fall off. You know, because so if you got clumsy, it would, it would have something that saved it because you don't want to lose your bread. You don't want to lose that fulfillment. You don't want to lose that, that pleasure that God has for us. And then, by the way, then it had two, row, row, uh, two rows uh, uh, or two stacks of loaves. There were six each to symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel, which meant he wanted to meet the needs of every one of his children. Now that's what God is saying to you and God is saying to me. And when you get close to the very presence of God, what happens is you're supposed to understand God cares about your daily needs. God cares about something else, the desires of your heart. God cares about your character, but God also cares about your pleasure. And so in that moment, God wants us to experience that in an incredible way. So that, that table was called different things. It was called the table of showbread, but it was also called the table of his presence. And, and I don't want you to forget that. When you go from far to God, from God to close to God, you enter the presence of God and you enter the pleasure of God. And God wants you to enter a place of, that's fulfilling and filling and, and you feel like, man, I've got everything I need in life. Leviticus 24 verse 5 says this, you must bake 12 loaves of bread from choice flour using three quarts of flour for each loaf. Place the bread in the Lord's presence. And that's why it's called the table of presence. On a pure gold, gold table, arrange the loaves in two row, rows with six in each row. Sprinkle some pure frankincense near each row. And it was to serve as a token offering to be burned in the place of the bread as an offering given to the Lord by fire. Every Sabbath day, this bread must be laid out before the Lord on behalf of the Israelites as a continual part of the covenant. The loaves of bread belong to Aaron and, and his male descendants who must eat in the sacred place for they represent the most holy portion portion of the offerings given to the Lord by fire. So now what's kind of interesting about that is it said the only people that can eat the bread are the priests. And you might have said, but wait, Chuck, I thought you said the six loaves on one side, six on another, 12, represent all of his children getting it. Well, in the Old Testament, only the priests were allowed to eat it. Everybody else could smell it, but they couldn't have it. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, when he called for you to commit your life to him and you enter the presence of God based on his sacrifice, which is the brazen altar, and then you go through the place of sanctification, one of the things every single Christian is set apart to be is a priest to God. Did you guys know that? See, everybody's a priest. It's not like I walked in and, well, the pastor Chuck's the only priest. No, everybody... Father John. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, we won't. I shouldn't have kidded like that. But you are. John, you're a priest to God. And you know what? Everybody here is. And so are you ready why I'm bringing that up? Because that means you have the right to the holy bread. Amen. So you have the right to that in your life. And God wants you to know that. And so it was the sign of his presence and the sign of his pleasure upon you. And so the table of showbread uh, or the table of his presence uh, is called that in Exodus 25 verse 30 and Numbers 4 verse 7. And it's a special place where you're in the presence of the one who is special and completely holy. Um, I think that's kind of interesting because have you ever, ever like sat down to eat with somebody that you really, really respected and you didn't want to make a fool out of yourself? Did anybody else have that happen? Uh, yeah, I remember one time when I was doing Next Gen Ministry, uh, this girl in our ministry, uh, she, she uh, really, really liked this particular college guy. Well, actually, they were older than college. They were singles. And she really liked the single guy and, and this kind of young, up-and-coming professional guy. And so what happened is he really liked her, and I knew it. And whenever I know that, then I try to help set him up. I feel like it's a holy calling. And I, I try to get him together. And so I said to him, dude, you got to ask her out on a date. And he goes, but where should I take her? 
and, and I thought of this incredible, incredible restaurant. Like it was super nice, super amazing. So he asks her out and he takes her to the restaurant. And he is so excited. She is so excited. And the next day, I saw, I saw them separately. So I said to the girl, how was the date? And she said, he was incredible. I go, how was the food? And she said, I didn't eat it. Could you imagine? She said, I couldn't eat in front of him. So she, she's starving the whole time, playing with this amazing food because she was so freaked out by this guy. You know, I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, and uh, I, by the way, uh, one time, before Pam, there was another girl I was dating, and I took her out to this really nice restaurant, and the salad came, and they sat it down, and I put one of those little tomatoes in my mouth and took a bite, and it shot and sprayed her white shirt. <laughs> and she's like, whoa, and I'm like, oh, and, and I thought, all I can do is laugh. I can't take it back, you know, and, and she, praise God, laughed too, um, but you know what? Sometimes you're in a presence of somebody and you get freaked out. Then other times you're not at all. They make you feel so welcome. They make you feel so at home. They make you feel so like yourself. And you know what? That's what God the Father wants to do with you. It's called the table of his presence, but he wants you to experience this is a place of joy. A place where you're home. A place where you can be you, by the way, because he knows and loves you. He knows everything about you, and no one could love you more than God does. And when you're in his presence, you're in a place of pleasure. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Psalm 16, verse 11 says this, you will make, me, you will make known to me the path of life. Let me give you a pause there. God will make known to you the path of life. God will show you the next steps he wants you to take. He's not going to leave you in the dark. He's not going to let you wander. When you're really truly in the presence of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, now being in the midst of God's presence at the table of his presence, God will share with you your life direction. And then it goes on to say this, in your presence is what? Fullness of joy. Yeah. And in your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So the table of his presence, again, is bread that symbolizes the fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. And that's why the whole time I was going into this is I'm not kidding. Maybe it's not true for you, but for me, bread is pleasurable. This is pleasure, and it's symbolic of God doing this to you mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, which feeds into all the other areas of your life. By the way, and physically, because uh, whenever I eat, I try to eat with the Lord and, and, and talk to the Lord and, and see it as a blessing from God. And, and we all want to be that way. So let me uh, take us a little bit into the theology of the idea of the bread of life. Uh, first of all, it starts out with the presence of God, the very, very presence. We're going to focus on the person who puts us in the presence of God. And everybody already knows this. The person we're focusing on is Jesus. When Jesus came, he came to be the bread of life. And in John 6, verse 26, it says this. We're going to read a big section. Just hang in with me. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. He said, you're not coming to me because you know that I am the one, the promised one. You're not coming to me to commit your life to me. You're coming to me thinking I'm going to give you things, and then you don't have to make any life change. Then he says, do not work for the food which perishes but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on the Father, the Father God has set his seal. Therefore, they said to him, they said to Jesus, what shall we do so that we may do the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And they say, our fathers ate manna, which is bread from heaven, in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven. It is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus goes thinking, okay, do you really want this? Do you really want it? 
So he's about to tell them and us how we can always have this bread that gives life to the world. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. I don't want to miss the last line, but then I want to go deeper. You will never come to Jesus and Jesus say, no, not you. He will never do that to you. But he wants you to come believing. He wants you to come trusting. He wants you to come to be a part. But now let's look at this. Let's look at what it's talking about here. He said, I don't want you to wish for the food that perishes. In other words, what he's saying here is, I want you to live a life that matters. I want you to do things that matter. Remember, I told you just a few minutes or a few seconds ago even that God has a path of life for you to go on and he would never keep that from you. So what I want to say to you is, is are you living a life that has meaning and purpose? Because God has actually written out a plan that you and I are to live out so that our life does. Um, As a pastor, one of the most difficult things to do is a funeral. Doesn't matter who the person is. The funeral is always, always something that's difficult. Sometimes uh, it's very celebratory because we know the person knew Jesus and everybody's just convinced in their faith in God and, and they're in heaven. Other times it might be heartbreaking. But there's always that moment where you're wondering, okay, what am I going to say? What am I going to share? And... Uh, so I always, when I did funerals or do funerals, I sit with the family and I say, tell me about their life. And I'm not being judgmental, but I can't tell you how many times, you guys, I have had the family say to me things that don't matter. They're, they can't say one meaningful thing that this person's ever done. That's tough. Then there are those who, their lives are filled with meaning. Their lives are filled with purpose. They did things that created value, not just about themselves, but others. One time I was going to do the funeral for Earl Berry. None of you have heard of Earl Berry, but God knows Earl Berry. Earl was one of the kindest, most loving men that anybody knew. Everybody who encountered him walked away better. He was interested in everybody. If you had a need and he could meet it, he would meet it. He was selfless, not selfish. And when he died, we all knew he was going to heaven. And I said, can you tell me some memories about your grandfather, your father? And uh, Michelle, who was sitting there, had married Patrick, his son. And Michelle already had a, a child. She already had a daughter. And she said, I want to tell you about the day that my daughter met Earl. What happened is she was nervous. She was just now getting involved with this family. She didn't know how they'd accept her daughter. And uh, she remembered the day that she walked in with her little girl, and she walked up to Earl, and she said, Earl, I want you to meet my daughter. And Earl goes, that's not your daughter. And everyone jumped back. He said, that's my granddaughter. And he grabbed her up in his arms, and he said, honey, you belong to me. And they became so close. Her greatest joy in life was being around her granddad, Earl. And he loved her that way. His life had meaning. His life had value. He knew what it was like to be in the presence of God, the joy of God, and the pleasure of God. And if you're someone who's in the joy of God and the pleasure of God, other people will experience joy and pleasure. By the way, if you're negative, <laughs> you're outside the tin looking in, okay? Uh, but, but that's what I don't want you to miss. And I hope that I live my life in a way that counts. I hope you do too. And when you're at the table of his presence, what does God do? He shows you the path of life. He reveals to you what you're made for. He shows you things you're going to do. And then God gives you the bread from heaven that gives life to the world. It's, it's not a low-carb bread. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't have an absence of taste and pleasure. It's life-giving. It's life-giving. And the ultimate promise is this one. Get ready. Jesus said, whoever comes to me and experiences this bread of life, they will not hunger and they will not thirst. 
Okay, so that, that begins to, to, at times in my life, make me do a, a real self-assessment. If I'm hungering or I'm thirsting, then I'm not partaking of Jesus. I can't be in the presence of Jesus and hunger and thirst. So what I want you to know is he wants you in his presence. But a sign you may not truly be in his presence, truly in connection with him, truly experiencing him, is that you're hungering and thirsting for something and you just can't seem to get it satisfied. And the answer isn't going to be any of the other things you look at. The answer isn't going to be getting high on something. The answer isn't going to be getting more material things. The answer is not going to be a new car or a new house. The answer is not going to be a job promotion. Uh, the answer, by the way, if you're single, isn't going to meet somebody and get married. I always try to warn single people that if you're not happy now, you won't be happy when you're married. You got to be happy before you get married. And by the way, when you're married, it's not going to be getting out of your marriage isn't going to make you happy. So what you need to understand is that when we know Jesus, when we're at the table of his presence, we're not going to hunger, we're not going to thirst, because God is going to do something very special in our life. And that's the ultimate promise that comes. So that's the person. If we focus on the person, Jesus is the bread of life. And the idea of the table of his presence, the table of showbread, is we come to the one who brings true fulfillment and true filling into our life. But I also want to focus on the provision. How does he do that? What does he do? Well, he does it in a very interesting way. In Matthew 6, 11, it says this. Jesus said, pray, give us this day our daily bread. So one of the ways that God brings provision in our life, he meets our needs. Small needs and big needs. Sometimes we act like we should only ask God for the big things. But God wants you to ask for everything. Jesus said, I don't want you just to ask, you know, uh, uh, for, for the bigger things. I want you to talk to me about each time you need a little bread. Whether it's sourdough <laughs> or French or heavenly. No, I'm Hawaiian. Hawaiian, I mean. And, and you know what? You do that. And you know what? The Lord meets your needs. He meets your daily needs. Uh, Pam and I, by the way, had that happen in a very real way. Uh, one time, we didn't have, uh, we were young. Uh, we were young. I was a young pastor. I wasn't making that much money. And we didn't have enough money for groceries. And we had two little boys. And I, I told Pam, I said, I don't know how we're going to buy groceries this week. And uh, Pam said, we'll be okay. We'll be okay. And we prayed about it. And uh, we went to church that night. And this man walked up to Pam. He said, hey, Pam, how you doing? He reached out her, his hand to shake her hand, which almost he never did. He always would hug her. And Pam grabbed his hand, and she could feel something in it. He said, just before church, God told me to give you this. And it was the exact amount of money we needed for groceries. God gave us our daily bread and Pop-Tarts, but and all the other things. So, hey, Bill, you've had something like that happen. Yeah, so I recently started a new job. And um, not too long before I started, you know, I was feeling a little bit nervous because I wasn't sure. I was an expert in the different technology that, and software that, that they were using. And uh, I remember praying one night. Um, I prayed to God, Lord, I know you'll take care of me, but would you send me a mentor to help me show me what I need to do and what, what I need to learn? And then not too long after that, he sent me a couple of friends. Keanu is one of them. And uh, another friend named Brian. And prior to that, I haven't spoken to Brian all that much, but he was full of patience and grace. And he actually reached out to me and he said, hey, you know, I've worked at this company before. Let me show you how to set things up. Let me show you how to do things and just teach you how to do things. And then we met several times. And over those meetings, I felt more and more comfortable. And I remember telling him, you're actually a godsend. Like God sent you for me. I prayed for you. And I was just very grateful for that. So, yeah. Yeah, and I love the idea that you needed a mentor. Uh, you prayed about it. God brought somebody to you. You didn't even have to ask really, right? Mm -hmm. And you said that's happened more than once. Oh, yeah. So um, throughout my life, I feel like just God has been giving me mentors and just helping me meet the right people, have the right conversation. And they don't know it, but <laughs> I've never asked them to be my mentor, but that's what essentially they are to me. <laughs> No, yeah, no, no, that's really, really powerful. And I think the idea is this. There's a verse in Zechariah 4.10. It says, who has despised the day of the small thing? Mm 
And what and God is the one saying that. He goes, the little things matter. Uh, little things matter. By the way, a, a mentor may be a little bigger than little. But, um, <laughs> but you know what? Grocery money matters. Gas matters. Uh, uh, you know, gas in, gas in your car, I mean. Uh, some of you don't put it in the chat. But, uh, uh, but you know what? Uh, th- it matters. It matters. You know, your sleep matters. Uh, if you're a young mom praying for sleep, uh, might not be a bad idea at all. And, and you know what the Lord says, but I want you to do this. I want you to pray and ask me. But he also says, I don't want you to worry. See, Matthew 6.11 is where Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. And then Matthew 6.31 to 33, it says, do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So the Lord says, you know what? I know you're going to need food, and I'm going to make sure you somehow get it. I know you're going to need something to drink. I, I'm going to make sure you get it. I know you need a place to sleep. And you know what? As God is saying, I want to care for your daily needs. I know you need good friends. Uh, I had a season of life, not because I, uh, I, just because of what had occurred. I thought, Lord, I think I need a, some really good friends and God brought me to amazing friends, uh, just kind of out of nowhere. Um, and they're still great friends today. He knows you need a good job. He knows you need fulfillment. He knows you need purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, God knows all these things. And so, you know what? First of all, ask him. Talk to him about it. Uh, and then the other is trust for him. Don't worry. Trust that he's going to meet your needs. And the Bible says what you should do, though, is not run out necessarily seeking those things. He wants you to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and those things will all be added to you. Uh, you may not have ever heard of a man named George Mueller. He lived way, way, way back. I think it was the 1800s. It might have been the 1700s. Uh, but he, there was no orphanage movement back then. They would take young children, and they would lock them in asylums or prisons. Um, and, and so what you need to know is Mueller said God would not want that. So he began to lead a movement to free the children from asylums and prisons, but he had to lead the way by taking them in. Now, he wasn't wealthy. He was a pastor. Uh, he was a very well-known pastor, uh, but he prayed and prayed, and God had someone out of nowhere give him a house. Wow. And so now he has this house, and he brings these kids into it, but he also doesn't have a direct income for it. And so what happened is one day he comes home, and the housekeeper said, Mr. Mueller, we don't have any food. And she said, when I mean no food, we have no food whatsoever. We're out. And there were probably 17, 18 kids living there then. And so what happens, he walked in and they were all looking at him, wondering what they were going to do for food. And he said, hey, everybody, set the table. And they're thinking, what? And he had them all set the table. And then he said, come and sit down. And they all sat down this big, big, huge table. And he said, all right, let's pray. And he prayed, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the food that you're providing for us tonight. And they're all looking like, where's the food? (laughs) And he said, I really thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And right at that moment, there was a knock at the door. And he looked at one of the kids and said, go. The kid went and ran and opened the door. And there was a man standing there at the door. It wasn't prearranged. He was standing there. And he said, hey, um, I'm a food deliverer. My wagon broke down out here. I don't want it to go bad. Does anybody here need food? And they were like, oh, and they ran and they're unloading this wagon all for free and except it was from God. And all the kids are going, oh my gosh. And, and there was story after story told by those children of living with this man of prayer where God would meet their daily needs over and over. And that's why we all, when we talk about George Mueller, he was a man of prayer. Uh, uh, matter of fact, it may not be a big deal to you. Dwight L. Moody traveled all halfway around the world just to be in his presence mm. because he was so known for seeing God meet his daily needs. And God wants to do that. But he doesn't want to just meet your needs. Please don't miss that. One of the needs you have is for pleasure and joy. So in Psalm 37, verse 4, it says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will do it. Please don't miss that. God does it. God does it. 
Uh, you know what? And I've seen that happen over and over and over again. And I'm not trying to promote materialism. I'm just telling you that God sometimes looks and thinks, I want to give you a gift. I want to bless you with this. And it's this heart's desire you have. And, and so God does. He meets that in amazing ways. Uh, Pam and I, way, way, way back, this is years ago, there was this brand new thing on the market called a big screen TV. <laughs> I know all you guys already have one. Back then, we, nothing like that existed. And then I remember being in the Cerritos Mall and saw a big screen TV. Pam is uh, out shopping and she comes walking over and she goes, what are you looking at? The big screen TV costs more than our car. Ooh. So they were expensive back then. And they had this fold out projector mirror and Nobody else cares. All right, so I said, Pam, if we had one of these, we could have our youth group over and we could watch movies together. And, and I didn't mention NFL football. In season, no, I, but, you know, I, but I started telling all the ministry stuff. And Pam said, we are not getting one of those. There's, first, there's no way. And I said, I'm going to pray. And I did. I'm not kidding. I said, Lord, if there was any way I could. Have. And about a week later, a man called Pam up and said, hey, could you guys use a big screen TV? Wow. And we got the very model I was looking at. It was a heart's desire. And by the way, we did use it uh, for ministry. Matter of fact, your mom used to come over to our house back then and watch uh, uh, the stuff we showed on it. She, she really did. It was really fun. So do we kind of have a history that we don't have? But anyway, uh, but, but that was fun. But God always meets the need in the best way. There's a true story, a famous story. Is anything that could return to the family? And uh, in this one soldier's pocket, they pulled out a piece of paper and opened it up. It's turned out to be very famous now. They're not sure when he wrote it, but it wasn't long before he died. But here's what he wrote. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to humbly obey. I asked God for help that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity, infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I hoped for, almost despite of myself, my unspoken prayers were answered, and I, among men, am most richly blessed. Um, I know that I have a lot of faults in my life, so I'm not trying to say anything about perfection. But I want to tell you flat out, I feel like I'm the most blessed of anybody around. I just feel like God just keeps blessing me and blessing me and blessing me, and I, I think I, I don't take for granted the blessings that are in my life. A great church, by the way, that I feel blessed to be a part of. Great friendships. Getting to watch you guys use your talent is a blessing to me. I Probably more than you know. Um, Evan, you would share in that because you mentor people and you get to watch them use their talent. And uh, in those moments, you begin to say, God, I just can't believe how blessed I am. And there's pretty much not a morning that I don't get up in the morning and walk outside and feel how blessed I am. Or a night that I lay down in bed amazed that I have the fulfilling presence of God that fulfills me and fills me. That's what this is about, the bread of his presence. And it's interesting that Jesus wants us to practice his presence. He wants us to crave his presence. And so in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says these words. And I want you to think about the table of Shobed, the table of his presence. It says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Now, you probably kind of understand that. I don't know that you totally understand that. Because here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this in a time in a, that was in a Middle Eastern culture. So if you've never had a Middle Eastern meal, you would not know what he's talking about. This isn't come in and have salad. This isn't come in and have some soup. This is come in and dine at the evening meal. It, it's, it was a very special meal that, by the way, uh, Tracy's from the Middle East, from Lebanon. 
And in the Middle Eastern, this would also include Israel and, and almost all the, the countries in that area. Um, going all the way back to the time of Christ, the eating is pretty close to the same. But it's a huge meal. And how long does it last? Usually it lasts about four hours. So it's a four-hour meal. Yep. Yeah. They have the different courses. So even now, if you go to a restaurant, even here in Corona, you'd order what's called mesas. And so it's the cold appetizers first. And then once you're done with that, it's the hot appetizers. And then once you're done with that, it's the main dish, which is like a, usually like a meaty dish. And then after that, it's the dessert with tea or coffee. But you're talking like a four-hour meal, and it's expected that you sit and you commune and you have this fellowship with everyone. Wow. Yeah, and it's more about fellowship than food, right? Although the food's a big deal. I think that's one of the things that I love about it. So it's, when we say it's not about the food, that's not what I'm saying. It is about the food, but it's about the fellowship. But like your mom, when your mom brings out food, she's wanting you to love it, right? Oh, for sure. And if your plate is empty, that's a sign that they're going to put you more. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you, you, if you don't want more, you have to leave a little bit of food on your plate or else it's going to be even more. Yeah, you'll keep getting fulfilled and yes, fulfilled exactly. and filled. And by the way, let me show you a picture of a part of a Middle Eastern meal because I want you to see this. Uh, so Tracy, that's not the whole meal. That is what? That would be like the main dish. So you have the, the meat and you have the rice. That's yeah. like hour three. <laughs> yeah, and most of the times I've eaten, especially in the Middle East, but eating Middle Eastern food here or there, it's not, very seldom one kind of meat. It's usually multiple kinds of meat. It's usually lots of different kinds of, of uh, usually more pita bread. Uh, lots of pita bread in the meal, though. And, uh, and, but the idea behind it is this. You might be saying, why? When Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock, he's saying, open up and let's spend time together. Let's share together. Let's, let's feast together. And we're not going to always feast on food. We're more likely going to feast on life, on his blessings. But the other thing you can't miss right now is this. You go from the sacrifice of Christ that opens your eyes and door to the presence of God to the labor where you experience sanctification and you want to pursue a life of holiness. Then you step and the curtains open and you step in and there's the table of showbread, the table of his presence. And he wants you to experience pleasure. He wants you to experience joy. He wants you to know your purpose. But what I want you to know is when Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock, that would be true if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer. He is standing at the door and knocking, and he is hoping you'll hear his voice, and he does want you to open up so he can come in. But Revelation 3.20 wasn't written to non-Christians. It was written to Christians. It was written to a church. A church that stood way out here watching other people worship, watching other people have answered prayer, watching other people experience the presence of God. And they could have been in the midst of all of it. Amen. And the Lord said, I'm knocking on the door. In other words, by the way, he's not pounding. He's not yelling or screaming. He loves you too much. Right now, for some of you, the Lord's knocking on the door. Um, I was really honestly happy to hear last week a few people tell me, Pastor Chuck, when I heard about the need for sanctification, I haven't been doing that. I haven't been pursuing that. And, and I know now I haven't really been experiencing the Lord. They do know God loves them. Now, I don't want you to ever miss he does, that he doesn't love you. He loves you. But he wants you to have this light that's amazing. And they weren't getting that. And they're, kind of the light bulb went off and they knew why. Some of you right now, I want you to know the Lord's knocking on the door and he's going, this is for you. I want to be the bread of life so you'll not hunger and you'll never thirst. I want to be the one who gives you the fullness of joy and the pleasure that's found at my right hand. So don't ever turn away from this. Don't run from this. Remember, Jesus said, I would never, ever, ever cast you out. He would say, I'll give you this freely. I'll bestow this upon you in a way that's overflowing but you just got to open up your heart to me. So when someone's knocking at the door, you can go and open the door or you might even say, come in. So I'm going to ask you right now to pray a prayer where you say, come in. If you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, you don't know what it's like to have a really true relationship with the Lord. Pray this prayer with me right now. Pray this prayer. 
If you are a Christian, you need to come back to God. You need to recommit. Pray this prayer with me right now. Say to the Lord, come in and begin to experience all the promises we talked about tonight. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now for anyone who's out there that that needs, Lord, to open their heart to you for the first time or open their heart to you again. And I pray they would understand the joy of what it's going to mean to have this relationship with you. For people who are hungering for more, they're thirsting for more, but they're never going to have that that fulfillment and filling happen unless they give their life to you. I pray, oh God, right now that they would pray this prayer. So I want to ask you right now before I lead the prayer, do you ever walk around going, man, I thought there'd be more? Or do you feel empty inside? Do you wonder why what's, there's something wrong and I know it's wrong or you know what's wrong and you don't know how to make it right? Pray this prayer with me. You know, right now, pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me and I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. Please forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. Please heal me from hurt and from pain. And please free me from anything or anyone that would hold me down or hold me back. But most of all, I pray you'll make me yours. I pray you'll make me alive. And I pray you'll make me brand new. And this I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen if you prayed that prayer. Amen if you prayed that prayer. And if you prayed that prayer, that matters so much. And it matters so much, I'm going to ask you to do something. And it's something that will make your decision more uh, real. It'll take it deeper. And it'll give us a chance to partner with you in really experiencing all that God has for you. So if you prayed the prayer, I want to have you text amen, which means the truth. Amen means the truth to 77247. 77247. Just text it. We'll get back to you. And we also want to give you a special gift uh, to remember what happened tonight. The other thing is this. You can also go to crossroadschurch.family and click on I said yes. Go to crossroadschurch.family, click on I said yes. And we want to interact with you. Why? You matter to us. You matter to God. And what you did right now matters more than you know. And we want to help you know even more. So please do one of those two things so we can know about you, so we could pray for you. Uh, so we could partner with you in your walk with God. And we'd love for that to happen. And this Sunday, we're going to hit something I don't want you to miss. We're in the last of our miracle series, and it's on how the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection did and does change everything. And then we're going to have a special time of baptism. For pray right now, pray, pray, pray for people to experience the a reckless love of God, the never-ending love of God, the transformational love of God, and then make sure you're with us Sunday for a great time together. May God bless you and keep you till we meet again. God bless you. Thanks again for joining us. Here at Crossroads, we're all about helping people taking their next step. So what's your next step? Whether you made a decision to follow Jesus, want to get baptized, or you're interested in knowing more about God and the Bible through our Alpha class, we can help you take your next steps at crossroadschurch.family. We also want to invite you to gather your friends and family to join us right here online again next week. We're live on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on any new messages. If you found this message encouraging, click the like button and let us know how we could pray for you this week in the comments. Finally, if your life is being impacted by Crossroads, and if you want to be a part of making an impact all over the world, you can head to crossroadschurch.family to do that now. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.